It was exciting. <laughs> uh, you, know, we, you know, when we first found the fry, we weren't really even sure that they were lake trout. So it, it, it was hard at first because we wanted to get excited, but we, we were afraid to get too excited. If I ask you to name a Great Lakes fish, what is the first fish that comes to mind? Your very first thought. For most of us on the Canada side, that is a trout king of the lake. But conservationists in Lake Erie had to pull out all the stops to save the Great Lakes fish, and they're seeing signs of progress. We love a good success story, so today we're heading to New York to learn about lake trout recovery on Unsalted, a podcast for people who work, live, and play on the Great Lakes. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to Jim Markham, Senior Aquatic Biologist with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, working at Lake Erie Fisheries Research Unit. Now, before we get into his story about the lake trout, we're going to go back in time a little bit to talk about how the lake trout nearly disappeared. In the 1700s and in the 1800s, lake trout were the dominant predators until a commercial fishery started up. By the late 1800s, Lake trout were the primary target. Some overfishing happened, and eventually the fishery turned to lake whitefish and then to cisco. So while that might seem like a good opportunity to recover, the lake trout faced other challenges. In the 1920s, a sea lamprey invasion. In the 1950s, water quality issues. By the 1960s, the lake trout were nearly gone. Here's where Jim comes in to explain why the lake trout would be targeted for this overfishing. They were easily captured because they were large, and people uh, at that point preferred a, a, a more oily fish, per se, than, than they do now. Trout were, were, were in, in demand, uh, not here, but all, all over the Great Lakes. Um, and that was, the, that was just the target of, of the fishery back then. So a fish that can live longer presumably also grows bigger. So how big can a lake trout get? There's historical counts of uh, of lake trout in Lake Erie that were um, bat over over four and a half feet long and weighing 75 pounds. Uh, and and there's specimens of lake trout around, like in the northern Canada, that get much larger than that, uh, and then live longer than that. So they can get huge. And I, you know, and those those accounts were in, from the 1900s. So I can only imagine what used to be here in the 1700s, um, back before the population, you know, really started to get uh, overfished. Uh, there, there might have been some specimens that were, that were longer than that. Lake Erie can really, can really grow fish. <laughs> um, can, it's very productive and, can, and does a very good job of, of growing fish. Which is surprising because isn't it also, it's more shallow than some of the other lakes and don't big fish require, don't they sort of go deeper the bigger they get? So that's correct. I mean, Lake Erie is unique as far as all the Great Lakes go. Lake trout are the primary predator now in four of the Great Lakes, but not in Lake Erie. Lake Erie has three separate basins in it, the West Basin, the Central Basin, and the East Basin. And the East Basin is, is where our, our cold water is. We have, you know, our deepest waters are in the East Basin, and that is the only part of the lake where, where you know, during the, the summer months um, that, they, that they can really occupy and survive. And it's interesting when we compare the lakes, because to me, 
when I think of the Great Lakes, the fish is the lake trout. Yeah, well, you know, if you look at, like I said, all all of the other, you know, aside from Lake Erie, um, cold water fish species are still, um, you know, the the dominant one, and lake trout are the top predator. And lake trout are the top predator in Lake Erie, but not in the lake as a whole, just in the East Basin. And that and that's kind of our goal, uh, you know, for our fish community objectives here is to have the lake trout once again be that dominant predator uh, out in our in our cold waters here. The lake trout come from Allegheny National Fish Hatchery, that's in Pennsylvania, adding about two hundred thousand trout a year to Lake Erie, which led me to ask. Are the fish adapting to conditions on the lake, or if the scientists are helping somehow? You've lost. Uh, we we lost Allison. Everything that used to be here, and and you think of fish that used to be here. They knew where they went to spawn and where they had success spawning, and future generations of of fish that you know that came along. Um, you know, back when there was a population, followed the fish that already knew where to go, and they and they learned that, that you know that those were the spots to be. And you know, when you wipe that all out, um, you 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 lose all that. So you're starting from square one again. And, and you know, I want to I don't want to say that the fish are stupid, but essentially they are. You're you're stocking a fish out there that was raised in a hatchery that was not raised in Lake Erie and and you expect them to go and find out where the habitat is to have success. What is it about the ones that seem to be doing well? Were they were they fish that were raised in similar conditions or like what what's the pattern there? So our our fish that do the best are a strain they call a Seneca strain, but that I call it a finger lake strain. They came from Seneca Lake um in 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 new york's finger lakes and whether whether those there's still argument of whether those fish actually evolved with sea lampreys or not but that particular strain of fish seems to uh both evade sea lampreys better and survive sea lamprey attacks better than our other Great Lakes strains have. Um, so various strains from Lake Superior where they still have native stocks, we, that was initially was our strain that we, we were stocking into Lake Erie, but they, they would not live very long. Um, they would be full, fully mature at age five, and by age seven, they were virtually gone. Um, we have lake trout that are of the Finger Lake strain right now, uh, we just caught one in our survey this year that I aged the other day that was 32 years old. We've had them up to 35 years old. You, you have to be able to get fish that they can survive for a long time and have that longevity enough to to, to reproduce over a number of years and, 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 and get to spots where you think that they might have success. It's, it's you know, you have a first-time spawners, um, that may not know where they're going and they don't really reproduce very well, but you need fish that have spawned year after year after year and go back to spots and bring other fish with them, uh, in, you know, in order in order to try to have a chance of success. But those, the Finger Lake strain and, and a very, very similar strain, it's a Lake Champlain strain from Lake Champlain, but it, that's also comprised mostly of, 
of the of the Seneca um, Seneca strain fish. Those are the ones right now that are really carrying our population, and those are the ones that we have concentrated stocking on in Lake Erie over the last decade. So the Finger Lake strain has been successful. How did you gauge how unsuccessful other ones were? Was it as simple as, oh, these they're all dead? So one of the one of the neat things with our lake trout here um, is that each of them is tagged. Um, so out of the Allegheny Hatchery, every year when they when they deliver our lake trout, all of those all of those fish are first they have their adipose fin clipped. So unique to salmonids, they have an adipose fin, and um, and, and those are all clipped um, through a machine that all the lake trout are run through. But also in the machine is something put a coated wire tag uh, in their nose. So a coated wire tag is roughly a millimeter long. It's a, it's a tiny piece of metal, uh, and it has a unique code to that batch of fish. So a batch of fish will be 40,000 lake trout. So each of those 40,000 fish will be stocked in one, in one particular spot, and, and they will have a unique code embedded in their nose. Um, each of the lake trout that we catch are checked for a tag, and if they have a tag, we extract that tag and we read it, and we know where that fish was stocked, we know how old it is, and we know what strain it is. So one of the things that we also do during our uh, assessment is check for sea lamprey wounds. So you, you, you start to mesh all of that stuff up together, checking for what strain it is and start looking at wounding patterns on these. And you start, over the years, you start to develop a pattern of, wow, these fish are surviving to older ages, uh, this particular strain seems to have less wounding on it, seems to be growing older, seems to have less wounds that survive longer. These ones don't do so well. What are the conditions that might make it challenging for lake trout to reproduce? Lake trout um, require a really specific habitat in order to have successful reproduction. Um, they They like rocks, and I'll say rocks that are about the size of bowling balls, but stacked up uh, um, high, and what they do is they spawn on the top of these rocks, and their eggs kind of fall down the sides, but they get lodged in in the crevices. So you can imagine a bunch of bowling balls piled up on each other, and there's and there's cracks and crevices in those, and the eggs will fall in there. Um, they are, you know, lake trout reproduce in November. The eggs don't, you know, the eggs don't hatch until April. So they have six months of winter you know, that they have to survive in. And, and, and getting lodged in those cracks and crevices provides a place for them to kind of take hold in there until the water starts to warm up in the springtime and they hatch, the hatches fry. Um, but when we got dracenids that, that came into the lake, that really compromised what we considered were our traditional lake trout spawning areas that were north, uh, west of, of Dunkirk uh, in New York at a place called Brockton Shoal uh, out there. That was a spot that lake trout were documented at, has really good habitat out there. Um, but the Dracenids really colonized those rocks really bad. And the worst part of that is that they filled in the, in the spaces and, and, that, and that also caused sand and detritus to fill in the spaces more. So to the point where 
there was no more of those cracks and crevices available. So, so that takes us to, to where we are now is, is our question was, well, if the lake trout aren't able to spawn out there, where are they spawning? And, and that's where our, our acoustic telemetry program came in. Um, we, we went into that um, a few years ago um, with, with, the, uh, with, the, with the research um, question of trying to determine where these lake trout are specifically spawning. Is there habitat available in, in the present day Lake Erie um, where, where these fish are finding what they believe is the right habitat for them? And, and indeed, after a few years, we were able to figure out a, a few spots um, that were getting you know, large concentrations of, of, uh, of, uh, of lake trout. Uh, one of them we found in 2018 in Pennsylvania, and then 2019 um, was a spot um, about five miles west of, of Barcelona, New York. Um, and that that is where we found fry um, last spring. And a fry is a baby lake trout? So a fry is a is a newly um, hatched lake trout from an egg. That that is correct. We we were able to determine a a couple really specific spots where where lake trout were were very concentrated in at spawning time. So we we were confident that lake trout were spawning there. We dropped cameras over there, and and indeed the habitat there looked like what you would expect traditional um, lake trout habitat to look like. Uh, clean, clean rocks, uh, stacked up rocks, um, sm- very small uh, spots, but, but very, you know, clean, clean looking rock uh, in, shallow, in shallower water than we would have expected, about, about 15 to 20 feet of water um, there. And, and those were the spots that we went back in and set fry traps in in the springtime with hope that we would be able to, to find some evidence of success, and, and indeed we did. Still a long way to go for that inch-long fish in order to reach a, you know, a fish that is, is mature, um, has many obstacles, you know, to overcome. But the, you know, but the fact is, is that we found, you know, we've got to the point where we're going, okay, we have, we have established an adult lake trout population that is producing enough eggs in order for us to find fry. Right. What was it like when you found out that they had been discovered? Uh, it was exciting. <laughs> uh, you, know, we, you know, when we first found the fry, um, we weren't really even sure that they were lake trout. Um, we, there, we, we initially thought that they could have been steelhead. We were, we were going through guides and looking at them, and we couldn't separate them. So actually, we sent the samples out to Dr. Chris Wilson uh, in Ontario, and and he um, was able to genetically identify them as lake trout. And so it, it it was hard at first because we wanted to get excited, but we we were afraid to get too excited that that we would get our de- you know our hopes dashed that they weren't actually lake trout. So when it came through that they were, uh, it was it was exciting. You know, knowing that after after 20 years of, of hard work um, here and, and changing a lot of things around in our in our program, uh, to see some sign of success, uh, it, it 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 is um, yeah, it, it it was very rewarding. 
to say the least. How do you know that they haven't been producing their own fry before now? We we don't, Allison. <laughs> that is an excellent question. And I am the first one to say that they were probably producing fry um, well before we found them. It was just a matter of that we didn't know where these fish were going and, and what they were doing. Um, and, and that was why our... our um, acoustic program um, was was so was so important these spots that we were finding are are literally you know yards or tens of yards long and wide they're they are very small you could literally be five yards away from them and and not know that they're even there um, so it it, it it's you know it, it's yeah, they were probably there and, and doing things long before we found them, but we wouldn't have found them otherwise. So it sounds as though the next step is to keep an eye on things and see what happens with the fry? That is going to be our, our next concentration It is this early life stage. So, um, you know, not only determining how many fry are coming off our spots at Shorehaven, but starting to look around for other habitats that are similar to that to that one that we found in Shorehaven, determining if lake trout are spawning there, and then if those lake trout are having success at those spots as well too. And I'm not talking just in New York. I'm talking Pennsylvania. It may be spots over in Ontario and possibly Ohio uh, as well. And then and then further beyond that is starting to look for okay, we know that some fry are making it. Are any of these fry actually making it to that juvenile stage, meaning a year old? Are they surviving, you know, that gauntlet from, from coming off of, of these spots and being able to survive all the predators out in Lake Erie and being able to survive to make it to, to a year or, or too old? So that, that's going to be the real focus for us Well, good luck with all this, and thanks for sharing your good news with me today. You are welcome. It was great talking with you, and I am awfully happy to be on Unsalted. Thank you to Jim Markham, Senior Aquatic Biologist with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. As always, if you have a story idea or if you want to say hi, Sometimes I get these really lovely notes from listeners explaining their own relationship, their love for the lakes, or just sharing some nice photos. The email is unsaltedpod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at unsaltedpod. I'm your host, Allison Devereaux. I'll talk to you on the next Unsalted.